0: Hello, and welcome back to Forma, a podcast contemplating the intersection between classical thought and contemporary culture. I'm David Kern. Today's episode is brought to you by the Honors College at Azusa Pacific University, which prepares the next generation of Christian leaders through a great books course of study emphasizing faith, wisdom, and virtue. Honors students at Azusa Pacific enjoy several benefits, including an honors scholarship, small Socratic style classes, a curriculum with no secondary textbooks, exams, or busy work, exemption from general education courses, access to honors housing, and free trips to world-class arts experiences across Southern California. If you'd like to learn more about the Honors College at Azusa Pacific University, head over to apu.edu honors. That's apu.edu honors. My guest today on Forma is Dr. Andrew Roberts, author of a new biography of Winston Churchill. It's called Churchill, Walking with Destiny. The Sunday Times in the UK calls this a terrific book with bursts with character, humor, and incident on almost every page. Roberts tells this story with enormous confidence, drawing on a vast range of sources to present what is undoubtedly the best single-volume life of Churchill ever written, Dr. Roberts, who is the best-selling author of The Storm of War, A New History of the Second World War, and Master and Commanders, How Four Titans Won the War in the West, as well as Napoleon, A Life, is the winner of the L.A. Times Book Prize for Biography. He's won many prizes, including the Wolfson History Prize and the British Army Military Book Award. He frequently writes for the Wall Street Journal and is the Roger and Martha Mertz Visiting Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. He lives in London and often lectures in New York, which is where he's going to be actually early in November. If you are interested and you're in the New York area, you can hear Dr. Roberts' lecture about this Churchill book, november 5th and 6th in new york but he's also going to be touring throughout the u.s and canada throughout this fall and into the spring if you would like to learn more about how you might be able to hear him speak you can head over to andrew-roberts.net when writing this book dr roberts was granted access to exclusive new material queen elizabeth allowed him to study her father king george the his wartime diaries which were filled with churchill's jokes critiques and reflections on how the war was going Plus, he studied the transcripts of war cabinet meetings, the equivalent of the Nixon and JFK tapes, diaries, letters, unpublished memoirs, and detailed notes taken by the king after their biweekly meetings, all of which provide a wonderful new historical source. All of this, as Dr. Roberts indicates in the interview, was not available even as recently as 10 years ago. So this is the first biography of Churchill to include a great deal of these resources. As the book says, we think of Churchill as a hero of the age of mechanized warfare. But Robert's masterwork reveals that he has as much to teach us about the challenges we face today and the fundamental values of courage, tenacity, leadership, and moral conviction. And with that, I'm going to send you over to my interview with Dr. Andrew Roberts, author of Churchill, Walking with Destiny. Enjoy. Whenever I talk to someone who is British, I always feel so uncivilized. And uh, I feel like we Americans have a somehow... We still have an inferiority complex when it comes to culture. <laughs> so of course, well, you won the you won the war of independence, so I don't see why you should. <laughs> <laughs> well, we may be independent, but I don't know that we've sustained culture the way.
1: <laughs> I assure you, we take every advantage as, as much as we possibly can from that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, I, when I was thinking about that, as I was um, reading through some of your book and um, thinking about how we're going to be talking about a member of the British aristocracy and you mentioned in the book that he knew he was very aware keenly aware of his advantages do you is that something that he carried with him um throughout his whole life that that he he took into his positions of power and that influenced the way he the way he sort of wielded that power
1: i think it gave him enormous self-confidence um certainly but i don't think he was um a snob he wasn't somebody who thought that because he was a member of the aristocracy that therefore he was better than anybody else, but it did leave him tremendously rooted in his own sense of um of where he was in the world and uh, and so he didn't doubt himself at all, and you get that a lot from the British aristocracy historically and also uh, um and definitely him throughout his life yes yeah.
0: did you think that that was? one of those characteristics that was both good and bad that it influenced him in positive ways but also led him um to...
1: very positive ways yes absolutely i mean today of course to feel entitled uh, especially socially entitled is considered to be one of the um uh, one of the sort of worst flaws in a human being but um that wasn't the case in his time and also i think that he um his self confidence was absolutely natural to him and of course Mm. was so important because he was being uh, vilified and criticized and subjected to appalling obloquy for so much of his life Mm. uh, when he was saying the opposite of what most other people were saying, especially over the Nazis and uh, the rise of Hitler. But he needed every ounce of self-confidence that he could get, and he got an awful lot of it from the fact that he'd been born in a palace and was the grandson of the Duke.
0: Mm. You know, you mentioned um, in an interview that That it's only now that we can really assess Churchill, you know, due to the passage of time, but also because there's newly available archival material. Given what we know now, do you think that he was justly assessed while he was in his positions of office, Um, or or do you think that he was um, improperly negatively looked at by the by the English people, such that you know, particularly in the 30s and the 50s?
1: Yes, I, well, I think he was um, he was wildly under-assessed um, in the 1930s when people thought okay. that he was a warmonger and, a, and <laughs> a sort of danger to peace and so on. Uh, and then he was probably over-assessed quite a lot in the 1950s when, um, uh, especially after he left the premiership in April 1955, he was treated as though he could do no wrong. And um, and neither of those are, are true really. He uh, his is a much more interesting, much more nuanced. Um, story than that. I think that the um, the reference to the new um, sources is interesting because there has been this great cornucopia of new information that has come out in the last decade, which I've been very fortunate to be able to um, use for this book, and uh, and that also has given us a uh, a much more nuanced um, view of the of the great man. Mm.
0: It, it strikes me that some of that information has come available um, just as it seems like there's some, some of the criticism of, of Churchill seems to be being refreshed. Um, And I don't know if that's as common in England um, as it is perhaps here.
1: (laughs) Well, Um, I mean, refreshed is a nice word for it. I think (laughs) you, um, you get, uh, partly this is just due due to the existence of the internet and where every absurd and ridiculous, um, Rumor or uh, or um, scandal mongering can uh, suddenly be magnified and sent out to, uh, to hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people. Uh, where in the old days it would have just died in the in the sort of pub conversation, um, which is what uh, it was. Uh, it, it should have happened, but um, nonetheless, yes, he has got a, a new. There's a new, very aggressive um, anti Churchill. Sort of knocking uh, revisionism that one uh, sees in cyberspace. Hmm. But all that one needs to do really is to um, stay calm and go back to the sources and look at the original um, uh, documentation and the evidence and uh, and assess it. And under those circumstances, in 99 cases out of 100, it turns out that Churchill actually wasn't responsible for the um, things that he's being accused of.
0: Do you think that it's simply something that 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 occurs with people who have been in positions of power and have a certain level of reputation that they, that people begin to reconsider them and try to tear them apart.
1: No, well, of course that does happen to um, to everybody, and it's not a bad thing. Of course, overall, I think uh, history is a uh, is a constant revision. Uh, we're always rewriting history, and so we should, and and so we always will. The point is though that it's got to be done responsibly, and. Uh, and very often you get people who attack Churchill not because of any historically backed, evidentially um, backed reasons, but because of uh, of political um, assumptions or because they are perverse in some way or because they want to, um, to make a name for themselves rather than really because they've actually got anything useful or interesting historically
0: to say. No. Was there something about his personality that even during his life caused people to be inclined to criticize him, or was it just simply the function of a man in power?
1: Oh no, 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 no! Churchill, um, Churchill could put people's backs up immediately uh, in a um, in a way that he recognised. He was very um, uh, self aware. He, he he saw the way that he could irritate people at the drop <laughs> of a hat. He was boisterous. He was bumptious. He was a show off. Uh, and um, and a lot of people hated that, especially, of course, people of his own class and background for whom um, showing off was considered to be um, appalling um, socially. And so he was, put, he was called a thruster and a pusher because he constantly was pushed, pushing himself forward. There are various reasons for that psychologically, um, which I go into in my book, not least because he didn't think he was going to live very long. Most of his family died. Um, early and young, and so uh, so he felt he had to uh, to push himself forward. But nonetheless, um, yes, he was uh, he was um, uh, criticised very heavily, uh, pretty much from the moment he opened his mouth. Hmm.
0: You've written pretty extensively about Churchill, but you've written pretty extensively about many historical figures, including Napoleon. But it seems like you continue to come back to Mr. Churchill, whether it's through articles or eventually now to a fairly substantial biography. Um, What about his story and his work is so captivating to you? What, what, What does he mean to you personally?
1: I don't know that I'm going to come back to him any more now. Um, he, uh, having, done, having written a very long um, biography of him, uh, my publisher told, told me the other day that it was five hundred and forty thousand two hundred and sixty-six words long. So wow. I'm not a hundred percent certain that I'm going to need to return to Mr. Churchill for another <laughs> uh, another decade at least. But nonetheless, um, uh, it's it's well, it's a combination of things. Of course, it's the first. Part of his life is just one of the most extraordinary adventure stories hmm. his many close brushes with death his um his obsession with physical courage his uh his general as we were mentioning earlier his thrustingness and his pushingness um in uh, in direct um, um sort of con- contrast to what the rest of his class and background um was was uh, expecting of him and then after that there's the combination of the physical courage and also the moral courage uh, that we mentioned earlier also about standing up to uh, to the conventions of the day especially over the nazis and then later of course also over, over stalinism and uh, and soviet communism um and then you also have this uh this uh sense of destiny the reason i've called my book um subtitled my book walking with destiny is because he did have this extraordinary sense of personal destiny which um, meant that his close brushes with death taught him um, the, that, uh, that, at least as he believed, that he was specially being looked after to ensure that there would be somebody who would save London and, uh, and Britain and the empire um, when the great day of um, struggle dawned. And, um, and in a lot of people, that would be considered a form of psychological disorder. But then, obviously, when half a century later that moment did come, Um, he looked uh, tremendously prescient.
0: As you were talking, I I kept thinking how there was something like Theodore Roosevelt in him to to make an American comparison. You know, being maybe when he was younger, he didn't think he was going to live very long and he became sort of obsessed with physical courage and he had these great adventure stories before he ever took office. Did you find um, that Mr. Churchill, um, that he was very much... Like the other, some of these other historical figures that you that you've studied, such as Napoleon, or did you is one of the the reasons that he appeals to you because he is sort of unique in in certain ways.
1: Yes, Um, well, actually, that's um, that's very uh, observant about uh, Teddy Roosevelt because um, he he very much uh, uh, admired Teddy Roosevelt, but when they met, they didn't get on, and Hmm. Teddy Roosevelt's niece said that's because they were too too alike. (laughs) <laughs> um, that the, that was the explanation for why they why they didn't click, uh, which is a great oh. shame actually because it would have been one of the great friendships in in history. He worshipped um, Napoleon, uh, which is always a dangerous thing to do. But <laughs> nonetheless, he uh, had um, he had a bust of Napoleon on his desk all the way through his life. He collected books on Napoleon. He quoted Napoleon constantly, and uh, and actually, funny enough, um, in my book, Napoleon is mentioned pretty much more in the index than many of the living people who he who he did know and but um and and, and he was like other people I, I noticed some resemblances also with um with admiral nelson in that sense of of um uh, mad personal bravery and uh and certain total belief in his own sort of destiny in his own star um but no overall um he is a sui generous figure he's he's just, uh, he is, there's no one else like him. He might be like a l- few other people, but nobody else is really like Winston Churchill. Hmm.
0: You got access to all this archival information, including uh, King George's wartime diaries. Th- that must have been quite I don't know what the word is a journey just to access all of that. So how did that happen? How did you gain access to that? Was did you have connections with the right people? Did you Yeah, I
1: must have with, done, I must have done, but I didn't know it at the time. That's the way the royal archives works like me, um is that you keep asking and then and then uh, <laughs> and you get no 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 and then suddenly on one glorious and wonderful moment when I was um uh, visiting uh, Windsor Castle they're all in the round tower there that um mm-hmm. Uh, in the middle of the castle, uh, right at the top of the tower, and the um, and the archivist there that just told me that um, I was now going to be allowed to be the first Churchill biographer to use the King's diaries. And you can imagine how tremendously um, uh, pleased my, with myself I was on that occasion. It was magnificent. That must have been quite thrilling. Yeah, of course, it was. It was one of the one of the great moments of my life, frankly, because uh, I I knew that. Um, The King and uh, and Churchill had uh, lunch together every Tuesday of the war, and uh, they served themselves from a side table, so it was to ensure that no servants needed to be present, because they were discussing secrets, uh, the biggest secrets of the war, really, the ultra-decrypt secret, the nuclear secret. He would uh, tell the King if he was going to sack various people, and also, which countries were going to be attacked, when, and under what circumstances? And so, you know, the great grand strategy of the war was being discussed very openly between um, Churchill and the King, because Churchill trusted the King implicitly. And uh, and so, the great thing was that um, the King then went and wrote down everything Churchill said in the in his diary. So, my book contains um, the hopes and fears and aperçu and gags of Winston Churchill every Tuesday of the Second World War, and uh, it's a huge cornucopia of new information but it's not by any means the only um thing that we've got over the last 10 years since um 2010 there have been 41 sets new sets of papers that have been deposited at churchill college cambridge the uh, Churchill archives there uh, including churchill's daughter's um 1940 diary and we've also had the diaries of Ivan Maisky, the Russian ambassador from 1932 mm. to 43, and uh, Pamela Harriman's love letters, which is uh, which are which are great fun. And also, <laughs> who, um, uh, uh, she had a very active um, love life during the Second World War, and uh, and the people who wrote to her also worked for and new Churchill, and she of course was Churchill's daughter-in-law. So, you know, there's uh, new information about Churchill there. And uh, and I also um, in the last decade discovered the verbatim account of the cabinet um, of the war cabinet minutes, so which we hadn't got before. And so uh, and so there's still plenty of stuff. There's virtually every page of this book has got has got quotations that have never appeared in the Churchill biography before.
0: What do those papers reveal about how the people who worked closest with him felt about him? It seems like you know the the average person in in the kingdom had a wide variety of responses, but those responses would have been informed by reputation or newspapers or you know whatever it gets the rumors that get spread around. But what about the people who were closest to him? Whether it was the king or people in in his cabinet or the the his family members, was there a sense of awe well, of him?
1: Um, n- uh, not so much that, no. there was, In fact, right at the beginning, there was a great deal of distrust of him because mm. he had got so many things wrong in his life. Mm. He had got um, women's suffrage wrong. He'd got the um, gold standard wrong. He'd got the Dardanelles um, catastrophe wildly wrong. He'd got the abdication crisis wrong, which was one of the reasons the king was rather nervous about him when he became prime minister. And so all in all, um, the people closest to him... Uh, wanted to ensure that he wasn't going to get the Second World War wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, yeah. uh, but one thing that does come through very strongly uh, from these new sources and also from the old, of course, as well, of which there is a, a, a truly massive amount, there are 1,009 biographies of Winston Churchill, is the, um, is the sheer emotionalism of the man. He was mm-hmm. tremendously passionate um, much more than most uh, other politicians of the day, or indeed since, he burst into tears fifty times during the Second World War, for example, uh, which in, in is public. Uh, in public, mm. in public, sorry, in public and private, mm. but uh, but just as much in public as private, really. And uh, he, um, and which must have been deeply, you know, off-putting on occasion for um, for people. Well, I imagine that were um, Theresa May our our Prime Minister to burst into tears in the House of Commons. It would be a very sort of off-putting moment. Uh, you know, Sterling would crash. Um, but um, The internet but would Churchill have, was, have quite the day. Yeah, no, precisely. But Churchill um, was, the thing is that you see that he was not the stiff upper lip, buttoned-up Victorian aristocrat um, of his background and class and time. But, his, uh, but in fact, a sort of throwback to the much more romantic Regency figure the those people who uh, who wore their hearts on their sleeves hmm.
0: do you think that well, in what ways do you think that the the leadership in the u k right now um in what ways do you think that he has influenced the current climate? i mean, I know there's been a great deal of change since the days when he was the prime minister, i mean even since he's since he passed away but does you do you think in any ways he kind of I don't know if this is the right word, but he lingers over or he haunts the current climate.
1: I think so, yes. I mean he's 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 thought of as being the um the Naples ultra of leadership. When people think about great leadership, Winston Churchill is one of the people that in fact the primary person that um that uh Britons think of as as having been a, a, a good leader. And so um, it's pretty hard, of course, because on, on all um, uh, leaders who've had to follow him, because, thank God, we haven't actually had that many wars um, since. And Churchill would not have become prime minister had it not been for the Second World War. And so it's rather difficult for um, people since Churchill to um, to live up to, uh, to, to the Churchillian brand of leadership, considering that, um, that most of them have um, had to... Uh, again, thankfully,
0: um, the whole office in peacetime. I was thinking about how here in the US, since uh, Franklin Roosevelt, the most anyone's ever been president is eight years. So the amount of time that you can build your reputation is somewhat limited. So you don't your influence and your personality doesn't seem to haunt the political climate for as long. In some ways, that's probably a bad thing. (laughs) Um, Do you think that that he had sort of an outsized influence on the way government is done in in England in the sense that, not in terms of that he was going to change the structure or anything, but there is a sense in which the monarchy, for example, seems to have less influence than it did in earlier generations. And the monarchy is something of a mysterious sort of um, thing to us that we don't fully understand the influence of. Um, but did Churchill have an impact on... The way people now think about the monarchy, in terms of maybe not being as powerful or as worthy of respect as it was, and I'd, not being British, I don't know that I can fully express what I'm trying to ask here.
1: I don't think um, Churchill. I don't think Churchill had very much influence uh, constitutionally. Um, in fact, there's nothing that uh, that he left as part of his legacy in, in, with regard to the constitution that um that wasn't there before um okay. the monarchy had already effectively lost uh, all of its um all of its powers that uh, except for for prerogative powers that it never uses um and uh, and although he of course worshipped uh, and adored had a bit of a crush on her majesty the queen um mm-hmm. he was um he and he was of course her first uh, prime minister mm-hmm. um he didn't actually uh um, he wasn't responsible for the for the weakening of any uh, any monarchical power because that had all pretty much gone in the time of the queen's grandfather.
0: Well, what about in terms of the way people thought about the monarchy? Do you think that because of his his reputation and his sort of he was kind of a larger than life figure? Did he in some ways cause the did that overshadow the crown, or do you think that the? Or oh, I mean, I guess, I guess the queen is a pretty outside figure in her own right. Well, the
1: thing the the point is that the is that the king uh, King George VI of course was um was great during the war. He visited lots mm-hmm. of bombed out cities mm-hmm. uh, he and the queen um and by which I mean his wife the queen um, later the queen mother mm-hmm. um were uh, were were brave during the war. Their house was was um hit during the bomb- bombing of course Buckingham Palace. And uh, so she um um and the king were, um, were were beloved in their own right um quite apart from mm. anything that Winston Churchill had anything to do with. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's a hard to as an American it's some it's it seems like for us the for us the monarchy is what we see on the crown. <laughs> um, or we mustn't,
1: you must not for one minute believe that anything in that uh, television show is accurate. It isn't. It's the most appallingly historically inaccurate uh show there are little pamphlets that uh, are uh, written over here with the many hundreds of historical um errors that are made in that uh in that program i've i gave up watching it after the first series because it was just so inaccurate i
0: i have um i mentioned that i was interviewing you and someone in the office said well, i should ask you about that, about that show but what aside from the historical inaccuracies which i have which i've read about do you what do you think of the various representations or portrayals of Churchill that, that have been in television and and in film in the last several years?
1: Oh well, I loved the uh, Gary Oldman movie, The Darkest Hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was um, it was super. Not just the prosthetics um, that he wore, but also that glint in his eye, and uh, and it brought over the sort of sheer fun side of uh, of Churchill. And, uh, and that was a great movie. And it was pro-Churchill as well, which is, um, which is fairly unusual. The last three movies have been rather anti-Churchill. So, so actually, it was, um, it, was, it was super, I thought. There were certain um, scenes that were completely ludicrous. The um, scene, of course, in the underground station when Churchill took the subway um, and, uh, and effectively used the people there as a focus group about whether or not he should continue to fight Hitler. Uh, was completely absurd I mean, to <laughs> the fact that um, he never went on the underground and he, uh, and he didn't need to ask um, the, the British people. He knew that he wanted to fight on against Hitler uh, under all circumstances. And, um, and so it sort of detracted in a way from his greatness because it uh, implied he, he asked for the, uh, for the opinion of the British people, which he didn't. He imposed his opinion on the British people. Um, which is a, a much more heroic thing to do, in my view. Hmm.
0: Do you think he viewed himself as a hero?
1: No, no. He was tremendously modest, actually. He was surprisingly uh, modest. He, um, When he spoke and wrote about the Second World War, he, uh, he never um, demanded the kind of um, um, approbation that various other people, like Montgomery or Lord Mountbatten, um did he uh he probably knew that he was heroic, but he was the last man in the world ever to um draw that to anybody else's attention hmm.
0: is that a particularly british thing do you think I
1: don't, I don't <laughs> i'd like to think so i'd <laughs> like to think so, but i'm not sure uh, i i mean what he does of course is um is to uh to achieve exactly the um, the the thing that he's, I suppose, slightly setting out to do because right. by not drawing attention to his, uh, to his own uh, heroism, he's, uh, he's rather forcing the rest of us to do that.
0: <laughs> right. And, and, I, and I suppose the reason I put the question that way is because as you said there, he had a sense of destiny and thus sort of a sense of duty that this was the thing he was called to do or that he was supposed to do.
1: It's a really important, it's a really important aspect of his, uh, of his life, this one. And, uh, and one can't really understand Churchill, I don't believe, unless you factor in this concept of his, of his sense of destiny. Um, you know, he, he, had died, he had nearly died so many times, and he believed all the way through his youth and, uh, and earlier years before he became prime minister. And uh, he believed that, as he put it, invisible wings were flapping over him. Um, he didn't believe in uh, Jesus Christ. But he, or at least, didn't believe Jesus Christ was uh, was um, um, divine. But he did believe in an uh, Almighty. When you look at the duties of the Almighty, it seems that uh, all the Almighty ever really had to do was to look after Winston Churchill. That was his uh, his primary task in uh, in in existence, and um, and he certainly did that very well. and uh, And Churchill therefore did survive until nineteen forty in order to. uh, um, to fulfill this destiny, that even as a sixteen year old boy, um, he Churchill had uh, mapped
0: out for himself. You mentioned that he didn't believe in the um, divinity of Christ, but that he did believe in an almighty. Was there something that um, motivated or drove or inspired his his courage, if not, some sort of faith i mean was it was that faith in a higher power? Type of idea was that enough to drive his faith, or was it was it much more um, driven by self um, self respect and and um...
1: it was it was yes he was driven by self belief and um, also of course his ancestor his great ancestor the Duke of Marlborough he was born at um, Blenheim which is a huge uh, memorial really to the victories of the Duke of Marlborough in the Wars mm. of Spanish Succession in the mm. early eighteenth century and. Uh, and you know he he uh, was taught at his school Harrow that um, that it was important for everybody to um, to be as heroic as possible, and there was a um, there was an ethos at that point in late Victorian England um, that he fully conformed to. And of course he was an army officer, and he'd seen he'd seen a lot of um, action in uh, in five campaigns in four wars by the end of the of the second of the First World War. So. He was sorry on four continents by the end of the First World War. So, um, you know, there was a, a sort of ethic that he um, that he conformed to, which uh, which was um, not a uh, not a in any sense a, a Christian one, but um, one that was no less uh, powerful
0: uh, for him for that. Hmm. Well, I won't keep you too much longer. I wanted to ask you something that I don't think you've been asked in in other interviews that I've seen. Um, when I was in school, I read his History of the English-Speaking People's books, and um, I still have those on my shelves and like to pick them up sometimes, if for no other reason than I enjoy reading the way he wrote for some reason. So I was wondering what you as a historian think of those volumes that he put together and what you think of his of his uh, his output as a writer. Um, that's
1: a good question. His output? put as a writer, which was enormous. It was, it's bigger than Shakespeare and Dickens put together. Um, <laughs> well, and he book. got them through a war. That's pretty remarkable. And, and he did indeed. And, and he won the Nobel Prize uh, for literature, of course, in 1953. But um, uh, yes, many of them still bear um, rereading. His biography of the great Duke of Marlborough, his full-volume biography is a, is a superb book. His autobiography, My Early Life, is lovely. His collection of essays, great contemporaries, um, definitely bears rereading, um, not just for the for the historical insights and the aperçu, but also because of the writing, this wonderful uh, sort of Macaulay esque, almost Gibbon esque um, uh, language that he, uh, he uses. Um, he could be uh wildly inaccurate frankly um he uh, he of course placed himself at the center of his of his um memoirs of the first world war and second world war very much um but he 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 argued that these were not intended to be objective history; they were his case um and he was making it mm-hmm. um so one has to i think factor that in um the other point I think that's important to remember with regard to his writing is that he was always broke all his life. Uh, he literally didn't uh, get into the black until he was in, uh, in his early 70s. And so he was actually writing for an audience, for money, trying to, to get the maximum number of people to, um, to read it. And so he was writing in a deliberately accessible way. And that's very good news because it means that even 100 years later, uh, he's still tremendously readable, and one of the great pleasures of this book, one of many really great pleasures of uh, researching this book, has been um, reading his uh, his own work. Hmm. Well, as far as, sorry, and you asked specifically, of course, the beginning of the question about the history of the English-speaking peoples. I mean, sure. that's a classic example of that. It does bear re rereading. However, uh, he actually tells the story of Alfred burning the cakes, uh, King Alfred the Great burning the cakes, for example, uh, as though it were true, <laughs> uh, rather than pointing out that it's, uh, it's almost certainly um, a, uh, a myth. So, you know, one can't take one can't take absolutely everything Winston Churchill um, says for um, uh, serious historical truth.
0: Do you think that in some cases he's doing that kind of with a wink? That he's just having yeah. some fun. Oh yes. Oh no. And you pick
1: it up. You pick it up. Um, uh, anybody reading between the lines at all about that? And also in my early life is, uh, I mean, for example, he claims that he was absolutely rubbish at Latin, uh, and he has lots of very funny jokes about how how bad at Latin he was but then when you actually go to uh, read his school reports uh, of when he was um when he was a young young, uh, young pupil um in fact he was rather good at latin uh, he turned out to be in the top third of every class um at latin and uh, and there's no um indication that he was uh, he was anything like as bad as he claimed to have been later
0: was that sort of self-deprecation common to him throughout his whole life Yes, yes, it's a, you, you
1: see it. And he uses it um, to devastating effect, uh, especially actually in the Second World War when um, he was being attacked in the uh, House of Commons at Votes of Confidence, which could have theoretically brought down his government. And, uh, and he was made jokes, and, uh, and the jokes would be self-deprecating. And, um, and the House of Commons would fall about with laughter at these, uh, these gags. And uh, <laughs> uh, it, uh, it, it helped him, his, his sense of humour, helped him enormously politically.
0: Hmm. Well, one final question for you, and then I'll let you go. What is the one thing, well, (laughs) what is, in a book this long, I shouldn't say what is the one thing, what is one thing that was most surprising to you or that you took the most pleasure in that you discovered as you were researching for this book?
1: I can't say I took enormous amounts of pleasure discovering it, but I think it was um, tremendously Interesting, and that is the um, in the King's Diaries, it becomes very clear that um, Churchill was profoundly disappointed with the Roosevelt administration for not getting more into the Second World War. Mm. Um, it of course was Adolf Hitler declaring war on America on the 11th of December 1941 that brought you into the war in the West, uh, four mm. days after you'd been attacked in uh, Pearl Harbor in the Pacific. So it was a um, there was a, a, a grinding sense of frustration and irritation um, in um, in Churchill for very many months before that happened. Um, that what he very much saw as being the central uh, war for civilization, to save civilization, uh, was not something that um, that the Roosevelt administration uh, wanted to. Uh, to move America towards um, uh, huh. more effectively than it did
0: that sort of brings us back to the original comment that I made right that 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 he was interested in protecting civilization, and that wasn't such an American concern
1: <laughs> yes and 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 one gets uh, very strongly from from these diaries from the king's diaries, uh, and the king of course agreed with him very much um, that um, that had the Americans got more uh, committed earlier on. I mean, of course, had you been committed in the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties, there might not have been a war at all, mm-hmm. because um, because Germany could could well have seen um, the prospect of taking on the United States as well as France and Britain as being a, an, an unwinnable situation. But nonetheless, it's a, um, it's a it it does come through powerfully in uh, in the King's diaries, and therefore also, of course, in my book.
0: Did that end up impacting the way that Churchill felt about? americans in general i mean would he have a negative view of no
1: not at all once once he got into the war he um he was uh he, he was delighted and uh of course by september 1943 when he made his harvard speech he actually wanted to investigate ways about whether or not um britain and america could have some kind of joint citizenship he, he mm-hmm. loved america He was half american mm-hmm. himself needless to say he uh he truly, he coined the phrase "the special relationship" and tra- totally believed in it. Hmm. But when, uh, in that period, when when you were a fairly isolationist and, uh, and there were lots of uh, powerful isolationist voices in your Congress, uh, he uh, he was undoubtedly deeply um, um, frustrated by it. Hmm.
0: I have a uh, my grandmother would, was German. She she lived in Berlin, well in Potsdam during the war. And she, uh, I I remember when hearing stories about what the German people thought of Churchill and how, after the war, in some cases they actually were relieved because of how courageous he was and how much he stood up to to Hitler. I mean, at the time before the war, I don't think uh, you know many Germans really fully realized what was going on or what they had gotten themselves into. But it's interesting the way that he has become sort of a um, a figure of such prominence, who is known for his courage and steadfastness even among the people that he was fighting for. And I don't know that that was universal to all the German people, I suspect not. But I remember hearing stories about that from my well, friend.
1: Well, funnily enough, he was cheered. When he, went to, um, when he went to visit Berlin in July 1945, he was cheered in the streets. Mm. And um, yes, and the, no, the Germans have, don't have the, uh, the kind of um, hatred for, for Churchill that you still get, um, amongst uh, amongst certain other populations. In fact, this my book I think is about to be sold. Uh, the German translation rights about to be sold any day now, which uh, is pretty impressive. I'm not sure that there are many um, many books about somebody who effectively conquered a c- country where that uh, country is is keen to read all about him in a in a positive way. At least. Hmm.
0: That's a pretty remarkable. That says a lot about about him as a figure. Um, and about your book, by the way. So, um, thank you so much for being here and thank you for uh, for writing this book and best of luck. I, I wish you the best on all your travels and all your speaking and I hope you sell a million copies. Um,
1: <laughs> you are kind. Thank you. I doubt I'll ever sell that number, but nonetheless, it's very, very <laughs> kind of you to allow me onto the show.